Who's your hero? Who, who was your hero growing up? The story is told of a middle-aged guy who uh, was out with his son <clears throat> in public and they ran across the great Mickey Mantle. And that had been his hero as a child. And so he couldn't resist. He took his son, he walked up to Mickey and he introduced himself and he asked for his autograph and Mickey was kind and signed the autograph and spent a couple of minutes with him. And then as they walked away, he looked down to his young son and he said, son, that is the greatest baseball player who ever lived. And his son looked at his dad and looked back at the now aging Mickey Mantle and he said, no, nah, dad, that's just an old man. <laughs> it's funny, right, how one person's hero is another person's old man. I had a really similar experience uh, I grew up as a baseball player, loved baseball. Baseball ran in my family. My dad was a baseball coach. All of my brothers and I were baseball players, and we were all catchers. And in those days, the greatest catcher in the world was playing, the greatest catcher who ever lived, Johnny Bench, and he was my hero. Well, when I got to be middle-aged, I actually got to meet him on a golf course one day, and I went up and introduced myself, told him the whole you're my hero thing, and he spent about 45 minutes with me, just the nicest guy you could ever imagine, signed my hat, did all that kind of stuff. I could not wait to get home. I was on cloud nine. I went up to my young son and I said, you're not going to believe who I met today. And I showed him the autograph. I go, I spent 45 minutes today with Johnny Bench. And Garrett's response was this, I'll never forget. Johnny who? <laughs> I don't know if I've ever been more disappointed in him than I was that day. It was really a sad experience for me. What's a, what's a hero? When you think of a hero, what do you think of? When I was young, the heroes to us were the men who fought in World War II and saved freedom for the world. Today, most people don't even think of heroes. They think of superheroes, right? Fictional characters in a, in a comic book or on the screen. When I was a child, I was taught that people like policemen and firefighters were our heroes, always looked up to them. Now even that is brought into question in our society. So, so then what is a hero and where are the heroes? I looked it up uh, in Webster's. It defines heroism this way. It says, heroism is extreme self-sacrificing courage, especially in fulfilling a high purpose or attaining a noble end. According to one poll I read, 70% of American children today say they have no heroes. When I was a kid, we all had heroes. My childhood heroes were Johnny Bench, John Wayne, and Wilt Chamberlain. Those were the people that I looked up to. Wilt Chamberlain I really had to look up to. But, but those were my heroes when I was a kid. But you know, it's a funny thing. When I was sick with the flu, it wasn't Johnny Bench who cleaned up the mess and made me chicken soup and took care of me. That was my mom. When I got in trouble at school, it, it, you know, it wasn't John Wayne who came along, sat me down and taught me right from wrong. No, that, that was my dad. When I needed a savior, it wasn't Wilt Chamberlain who laid down his life so that I could have eternal life. That 
was Jesus Christ himself. And so I think we need to maybe think about heroes in a different way. Let me give you kind of a working definition for today. How about this? A hero is someone who lays down his own agenda for the glory of God and dedicates his life to the service of other people. He, he lays aside his own agenda because he lives for God's sake. He, he dedicates himself to serving other people instead of serving himself. And as we continue our series on the character qualities of Jesus, <clears throat> I submit to you, that the greatest hero of all time was, is, and always will be Jesus Christ himself. So if we're going to call ourselves followers of Christ, then we're going to have to get in the habit of living sacrificial lives. I came across a quote by the great Arthur Ashe, one of the most uh, celebrated uh, the, um, the celebrated athletes in the history of the uh, United States, he had a great quote about this. Here's what he said. True heroism is remarkably sober, very undramatic. It's not the urge to surpass all others at whatever cost, but the urge to serve others at whatever cost. That's a profound thought. Heroism is not about surpassing others. Heroism is about serving others. Hmm. Now, where have we heard that before? Great question. Grab your Bibles. Mark chapter 10. New Testament, second book, book of Mark. Go to Mark chapter 10. And let's look together, beginning in verse 35, at uh, what Jesus had to say about this. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Follow along as I read. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Not too bold, right? Just anything we ask. That's what we want you to do for us. And he said to them, uh, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, "Do you not know that you are you do not you do not know what you are asking? Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized?" They said to him, "We are able." And Jesus said to them, "The cup that I drink you shall drink, and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. But to sit on my right or on my left, this is not mine to give." But it is for those for whom it has been prepared. <clears throat> Hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John, the other disciples. <clears throat> Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I'm guessing 
you've heard this before. I'm guessing you know this concept that Jesus said leadership is servanthood, greatness is servanthood. I mean, he repeats it again and again and again. It appears in all four Gospels multiple times. Every time Jesus got the chance to teach this, he taught it. And yet, most of us don't think about greatness that way. Most of us think that the great people are the famous ones. The great people are the powerful ones, the ones who get all the applause, the ones who sign the autographs, those are the great ones. But Jesus says the greatest ones among you are going to be the ones who spend themselves in the service of others. And once again, surprise, surprise, Jesus is our great example in this. So let me share three characteristics of heroism that are exemplified in the life of Jesus. Ready? If you're taking notes, you're going to get three points here. Here's point number one. Heroes give when it's easier to take. Heroes give when it's easier to take. Take your Bibles and now turn to the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. I want you to go to John chapter 13. And we're going to pick it up right at the beginning of the chapter in verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Now, if you read the rest of the story, you'll find that the disciples were incredibly uncomfortable with this. They did not like this at all. They complained. They said they didn't understand. There's Jesus down on his knees with a towel and a water basin scrubbing the filth off their stinky feet. They were ashamed. They were embarrassed. They didn't like it. In fact, just like Peter, he absolutely refused for Jesus to do it. And Jesus had to almost beg him to let him do it. They were not comfortable with this. The disciples did not think Jesus should be doing this. But here's the thing. They also didn't think they should be doing it. That's the job of a slave. That's the job of someone who's low on the totem pole. That's the job of someone who doesn't deserve any respect. It's a, it's a low man's job. It's a poor man's job. It's the job of a servant. We shouldn't be doing this. Someone should be doing this for us. Now, of course, Jesus shouldn't be doing it for us. We get that, they thought. But we shouldn't be asked to do this either. It's demeaning. But isn't it interesting to note that you've probably all heard this story before, Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Let me ask you this question. Do you think less of Jesus because of this story? Or do you think more of him? See, somehow for Jesus, it wasn't demeaning. I've seen so many examples of this in my own life. One of my heroes 
is a man by the name of Pastor Cliff Howery. He was the founding pastor of this church. He was a mentor to me, is still a mentor to me to this day. And the thing about Pastor Cliff, he was no doubt the biggest man in the room. Everybody respected him. Everybody looked up to him. He was the big kahuna. He was the senior pastor. He was the one in charge. And yet, he was always the one doing the dirtiest job that needed to be done. If you had a clogged sewer pipe at your house, he was leaving his office, coming to your house, and clearing your sewer pipe for you. What he loved to do on his day off, one day a week that he took off, what he loved to do on his day off, did he go to the beach? No. Did he hang out on the couch? No. He poured concrete free of charge for people who needed concrete poured in their homes. He was just a constant servant. And I still see people like that today in our church. People like Chuck Fry, Phil Pasco, and Fritz Fidel, and Mark Jenzink, and the other guys that are on the Fixers team. They just serve people. They ask nothing in return. It doesn't matter if the job is small. It doesn't matter if the job is big. It doesn't matter if the job is below them. There's nothing that they're unwilling to do in order to serve God and serve people. And I sit back and I watch that example and I say, God, make me more like these men. People like Beverly Wolterbeek, who for the last several months has been taking her own time, putting her own health at risk in order to bring meals into COVID treatment centers to take care of the staff who are taking care of the people. People like Manny Encarnacion, who gives up hours at a time to help people with their computer challenges because that's what God has gifted him in and that's what God has trained him for. And he asks nothing in return. People like Chris Fry and Diane France and people like that who care for those who are hurting, bring in meals when someone has a need. I'm constantly hearing about people like this in our church who just say, you know what, I'm just going to meet these needs. And some of you don't even know who these people are that I just mentioned. And that's exactly the way they like it. Real heroes are willing to pay the price and they don't care who gets the glory. Because they know that it's God that's called them to give. Even when it's easier to take. Many years ago, I, I read a story in Leadership Magazine that has stuck with me to this day. A true story about a six-year-old girl who had a rare blood disease and her life was in danger and she needed a blood transplant. And it had to be from someone who had perfect match to her blood and a perfect match to her marrow. And, and none of the adults in our family met that criteria. The only one who did was her nine-year-old brother. And so the parents explained to the brother the need and the brother agreed that he would give blood, uh, a transfusion to his sister. And so when the day came for the, for the procedure to take place, he laid there as they put the needle in his arm. He watched as the blood left his body. And he waited until the nurse came, took the needle out, put the band-aid on. And it was at that time that he rolled over and the tears began to flow from his eyes. And the doctor asked him what was wrong. And he looked at the doctor through tears and he said, how long before I die? And that's when the doctor realized he thought he'd given his sister all of his blood. He thought he wasn't going to live to see another day. 
And the doctor explained to him what really had happened and that he was going to be perfectly fine. And then the doctor asked him this question. If you thought you were going to die in this procedure, why did you agree to do it? And the boy looked at the doctor like he was crazy. And he said, she's my sister. I love her. That is heroism. To do for those you love what costs you a lot. To lay down your life for those who, who you love. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. But guess what? Jesus went beyond that. Because he didn't just lay down his life for his friends. In fact, Romans chapter 5 verses 8 through 10 tells us Jesus did much more than that. It tells us that while we were still sinners, he died for us. That while we were his enemies, Christ laid down his life for us. Heroes give when it's easier to take. Second thing, heroes care when it's easier to ignore. Again, let's grab our Bibles. Luke chapter 7. If you're in John, just go back to the left. You'll find Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And go to Luke chapter 7. And let's look together beginning in verse 11. And let me show this to you in the life of Jesus. Luke chapter 7 beginning in verse 11. Soon afterwards, he went to a city called Nain. And his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. Now as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her. And he said to her, Do not weep. And he came up and touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Is that amazing? It's a funeral procession. It's coming out of the city gates to go out and bury this man. Jesus is halted by the procession as it goes by. And he cares. I want you to notice, I want you to highlight there. It says, he felt compassion for the woman. And it was that compassion that we talked about so long ago in this series. That compassion that drove him to actually raise this boy from the dead and return him to his mother. You know, most of us have been caught behind a funeral procession. The light turns green, but the cops have it blocked off and the funeral procession is going by. You might have to sit through two or three lights if it's a long procession. And if you're late, you're frustrated. Jesus <clears throat> felt compassion. I always think about when I'm running late, Southern California, you get on the freeway in a time when you expect there to be no traffic and there's massive traffic and you're looking at your watch and you know, I'm not going to make it on time. I'm not going to make it. You're getting frustrated. How many times have I thought this, man, this better be an accident up ahead. <laughs> I'm hoping for an accident. Jesus was halted, <clears throat> held up, and what did he feel? Compassion. And then he acted on that compassion because that's what heroes do. It would have been so easy for him to just pass by. Because it's easy to ignore the pain of others. 
Sometimes it is hard to care enough to actually do something. You might see someone suffering and feel bad. But to care enough to actually do something, heroes care when it's easier to ignore. How many times do we see this in the life of Jesus? A blind man by the side of the road calling out. Jesus stops what he's doing and heals the man. The children who run and want to jump on his lap and the adults are so embarrassed they want to pull the kids off and Jesus goes, no, 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 give me some time with these kids. I want to bless them. The woman with the hemorrhage who can't even come out in public and she crawls on the ground in the crowd just to touch the hem of his garment. Jesus turns around and calls her his daughter. Lepers that need to be healed. Paralytics who cannot walk and never could. Jesus sees them, feels compassion, and does something. Heroes care when it's easier to ignore. I've had the bittersweet privilege of watching some of the people in this church care when it's easier to ignore. Some of you have fostered children, adopted children, taken on someone else's responsibility for their children. Do you know how heroic that is? Some of you uh, are out in the riverbeds feeding the homeless and caring for them and treating them like human beings with dignity. Some of you are at soup kitchens doing the same thing. I've seen people in this church again and again caring for their ailing parents a dear friend from our church just lost her mom after caring for her and, and taking care of her and ministering to her until her very last moments. Do you know what it takes to do that? It takes heroism. I know people in our church who regularly make phone calls to people they don't really know just to check on them and make sure they're doing okay during this COVID time when we can't gather together on Sunday mornings. Real heroes. The kind of people that I know in our church, they care when it's easier to ignore. Last thing, and then I'll let you go. Real heroes love when it's easier to hate. Once again, we have an example. This one also from Luke. Just turn one page to the left. Go to Luke chapter 6. And we're going to pick this up in Luke chapter 6 and verse 27. Jesus speaking here, he says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even the sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. For your reward will be great 
and you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your heavenly Father is merciful. We're living in some of the most hateful times in the history of our nation. I've never seen our society so divided on so many levels. If you go back to the most divided time in American history, the Civil War, there was such division that there was a war, right? Except that people who were just on one of two sides, they were either in the north or they, they were in the south. Uh, on, on most everything else, they had everything in common. But it's not like that today. Today we all live in camps and we live in various camps, multiple camps, and, and our camps decide what we believe and our camps decide what we stand up for and our camps decide what we shout about and our camps decide what we post about on social media. And there's a camp for everything. Your political views, you got to pick a camp. Your, your economic views, you got to pick a camp. Racially, let's divide. Let's all get into our different camps, right? The rich and the poor, we're all in different camps. It's, it's hard to keep track of which camps you're in sometimes. We're so divided. There's so much hate. There's so much vitriol. I've never seen people be so hateful to one another. As followers of Jesus... We need to live our lives exactly the opposite of that. In Jesus' culture, there were three main groups of people that everybody agreed should be hated. To the, to the Jews, you hated the Samaritans. It was just that simple. You hated tax collectors because they were stealing from you. You, you hated prostitutes. They were the lowest of the low. So these three groups, Samaritans, tax collectors, and prostitutes, it was okay to hate them. Even the priests taught you to hate them. And in most people's minds, these kinds of people deserve to be hated. This is not like hating someone based on the color of their skin or something ridiculous like that. This is hating people who are doing bad things. Right? The Samaritans are worshiping false gods and defaming the name of God. The, the tax collectors are stealing from their own people in order to make themselves rich. The prostitutes are doing what prostitutes do. And people hated them. But Jesus was known for loving people like this. He embraced the people of Samaria, went out of his way to go to Samaria, reached out to them, loved them, treated them well, and led them into a relationship with God. He treated prostitutes as if they actually had human dignity. He treated them with respect and honor because he knew they were made in the image of God. And many of them, because of that, came out of the lifestyle that they had been in. He made tax collectors his best friends. Zacchaeus comes out of the tree and they party at his house together. Levi is in the tax office and Jesus calls him and says, follow me. And Levi locks up the tax office never to go back. And his name is changed to Matthew and he becomes a disciple of Jesus and an author of a gospel. Jesus loved his enemies. When everyone else was condoning hatred, Jesus simply loved everyone. 
you guys, that's heroic. And this society in which we live today is desperate to see more of that kind of heroic behavior. And they need to see it from the people of God. Again, I caution you, think twice. And if that's not enough, think three times before you post anything that is unnecessarily divisive or anything that is hateful in your social media platforms. Think about what you say before you say it. Look to people who are in need and treat them with respect, love, and dignity. Guys, we are the people of God. We can do better than this. We must do better than this. Folks, the studies show that we're raising a generation of young people who have no heroes. And so they follow musicians and celebrities and social influencers. We have a whole generation of people out there who want to be more like the Kardashians. Meanwhile, Jesus is the greatest hero who ever walked the face of the earth. And it's our privilege to follow him in that heroism. Real heroes give when it's easier to take. They care when it's easier to ignore. And they love when it's easier to hate. Does it bother you that our culture seems to be devoid of heroes today? Well, guess what? You are meant to be the solution to that. Why not follow Christ so closely that you become the hero that our society so desperately needs today? You're called to do it. Let's give the world some Christ-like heroes to follow. Father, as we think about what you've taught us from your word today, I trust that many of us are convicted in our hearts that you want to do more through us than we've been allowing you to do. That some of our attitudes need to change. Some of our behaviors need to change. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, fill us in such a way that you shine through us. Make us more like Jesus as we draw near to you, Lord Jesus. Make us more like you. That the world might see you for who you are, know you for who you are, and be saved from their brokenness because of who you are. For we ask these things in the precious, precious name of Jesus, our hero. Amen.